Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. If you're looking for a snack that packs a punch, look no further than Avinola, a granola that can be taken on the go and it's so versatile that it can be eaten as a snack or as a meal. We love Avinola because of its nutritional content. Lots of granolas have a high sugar content, but not Avinola. This granola is sweetened with monk fruit, so it actually doesn't spike your blood sugar, and it's a great option for those who may be diabetic or looking for a low sugar alternative compared to other granolas. I mean, what could be better than a granola that only has one gram of sugar? Not to mention it's keto approved. So that means it's only got one gram of carbohydrates. And this is because it's made with lupini beans. And y'all, I have to tell you right now, I would have no idea this wasn't made from a grain because it tastes so good. So go grab yourself a bag of Avinola at avi-foods.com and upgrade your granola fix right now. Use our code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your first order. Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, me, myself, and I, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. Hello, everybody. And this week we are joined with a guest, Adrian, known as at Cheese Pilot on Instagram, TikTok, pretty much every platform of social media. So hi, Adrian. Thank you for joining us. Hi, how's it going? Yes, thank you for joining us today, Adrian. I kind of wanted to let everybody know that how we met you first, because we always typically meet everybody over like Instagram, but this time I found you on TikTok from our latest guest that we had, Tegan, and her handle was at Let's Fly Tailwheels. And I'm really glad she um, had tagged me in one of your posts because um, other people have recommended you and said, hey, Adrian should come on. And I was like, that's so ironic because I just spoke with him. So um, your story has really been motivating and inspiring to hear. And um, I know that it's probably pretty difficult for you to be in the situation that you're in. Um, but I wanted to ask you first, because we start with every guest, we ask them how they got into aviation. So what kind of sparked your passion in aviation or who was the person that kind of brought you into the aviation industry? So my kind of, you know, what, how I got into aviation, um, I guess it's a little bit different than, you know, how some people got in, you know, you always hear it was like, Oh, well, my dad was a pilot. My mom was a pilot. You know, we had airplanes or what have you. Um, <clears throat> one of my, one of my first memories, I had to have been, you know, five or six years old. Um, I went to an air show, I think with the Cub Scouts and some biplane flew upside down, like dumping smoke all over the cars, you know, driving into this air show. And from that moment, I was like, I want to do that, you know, <laughs> but, uh, when I went and told my, my, you know, mom, you know, when, when she came back from, you know, her dispatchment to Korea, when she was in the military, uh, you know, I tell her, I want to be a pilot. And they, they literally laughed at me uh, because of the cost. And the fact that, you know, back then I, I, my vision was so bad. I needed glasses to find my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got into aviation kind of accidentally. I uh, graduated 
uh, college with my first associates at 19 into the, the 2008 recession, or at the very least the recovery from the 2008 recession. Um, so there wasn't any jobs. I ended up joining the military. I, uh, I got, I tore my ACL in the military, so I couldn't infantry anymore. And I, I had gotten out of the military with not really any plan or anything like that until I, I saw a sign at an airport saying that you could use your GI bill here to become a pilot. And once I realized that that was, that was an option to, to use my GI bill to become a pilot, I realized I finally, well, could afford it. Um, so I dug around looking for schools. My initial plan was actually go to the university of North Dakota. Um, but believe it or not, there's a website called undsucks.com. <laughs> and, uh, I saw it and that, that kind of scared me away. So I, I decided to go to ASU's program down in Arizona. And as, as soon as I show up, uh, the VA cut ASU off. So I have to go next door to this community college that partnered with the university of North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> full circle full circle full circle <laughs> so you know i did all my flight training there um took me about 18 months to go from pretty much zero hours to flight instructor and then another 13 months to go from you know flight instructor to airline pilot so i, I definitely took one of the accelerated routes well it's interesting i i don't think we've talked to anyone who has um like a parent in the military but specifically their mother um which is extremely interesting way to grow up but and i could i could probably sit here and talk to you about that forever but i kind of have to stay on subject but i know you're not currently flying and like you said you know you're talking about your career trajectory and it seems like you got in did your flight training and it looks like you were currently at the airlines but can you kind of take me through your flight training and how you got there? So um, <clears throat> if we if we go back to you know zero, I I did you know ASU when they got cut off from the VA, um, they kind of left all the veterans kind of hanging dry until a big group of the veterans decided to go to the news and ASU went hey 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 don't go to the news and we'll give you all a semester for free so. They gave a bunch of veterans one semester for free, including me. Um, so I got, I got, believe it or not, about 100 hours from private pilot, which is kind of a lot uh, when it comes to just private pilot training. Um, and through that one semester, I never took my check ride. And I'm like, am I, am I really cut out to be a pilot? 100 hours and I'm still not, I still haven't even gotten the first rating done. It's looking a little rough. That one semester where I didn't finish the private pilot program, um, I moved next door to Chandler Gilbert Community College in partnership with the University of North Dakota, or technically UND Aerospace Foundation. Um, and with a new instructor at a new program, I, I got it done in about 30 hours on top of the other 100 hours that I had. So if anyone's ever thinking that uh, they're not cut out to be a pilot because they're taking longer than the average of 73 hours. Nah, keep at it. Not a lot of people are willing to talk about that, especially in the day and age of like 141 flight schools where you're really turning and burning and pumping it out as quick as you can and getting every single rating in six months. Um, mm -hmm. And you, there is like, we talked about this. We just did our solo episode. It will be two weeks ago from when this comes out, but we talked about that a lot in that episode. So I really appreciate you being honest about that. And sometimes really all it takes is a different experience. The first flight school I went to, I was not thriving. And then I went to another flight school and my experience totally changed. Yep. And, and that's why, you know, 
when I was a flight instructor, if, if it got to a point where I didn't, you know, where, where I didn't make progress for about three flights, um, I was not ashamed to hand my student off to another instructor to see if I was the problem, which I feel is like there's a, there's a lot of problems in, you know, flight schools and aviation, especially at a lot of the really small schools where there's only like two or three instructors there, there isn't really the opportunity to, to, to pass off your student to another instructor to see if there's possibly a, a, a teaching method that you're not understanding. Um, so I've never been ashamed about the fact that it took me almost twice the national average to get my pilot's license. And whenever anyone asks like, Hey, you know, am I cut out for it? I'm already at 38 hours and I haven't even soloed like, well, I was at like 42 before I soloed. So keep after it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. I respect I like that. You said that because um, I'm going through my flight training right now. I'm only at 10 hours. Um, and it's like, I'm going to have talked about this many times, but it's just like, everyone asks you like, when are you going to be able to fly? When are you soloing? And all of these things. And it's kind of like, well, I don't have a time frame. I just know that I'll do it when I'm ready, but it's hard to say that pilot to pilot because it's just like they, you're expected to like do it at the time frame that has kind of been like the average as they say, but yeah, it's definitely um, something that takes time for every person to learn and that everybody learns differently. So thank you for saying that, because I think that there definitely is a push to do things very fast. And um, and that kind of takes the joy out of learning a lot of times. So mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so moving on, I kind of want to ask you, like as you ascended to the airlines and you got your airline gig um, in our uh, pre-podcast conversation, you kind of talked about how you got typed in a new aircraft and then this big hiccup with your medical came along. So can you share with our audience how that happened or why that happened? So, um, you know, I was working on my third type rating. I had, you know, went from the regionals to a low cost carrier um, where I was in the, the A320. So I made it through, you know, a third type rating, another rating. Um, and then my medical was going to expire like two days before, um, I was supposed to go back to work. You know, my first class medical privileges were going to expire. So I was going to go get my eighth medical exam, <laughs> expecting no issues, just like the previous seven. Um, and then I, I guess this, uh, aviation medical examiner dug up 17 years worth of medical records that, I still, uh, 98 days later, cannot track down. Um, mm. And that aviation medical examiner refuses to discuss where they got the medical records from. They say they got them from the VA. I call the VA and they're like, dude, we don't even know you went to Afghanistan, let alone talk to a therapist in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, so, so what do you think was the big tip off and like explain that a little bit more? Um, you know, Afghanistan, it was, it was Afghanistan. You know, we were up all night, um, holding guard. And when I say all night, I'm talking about like eight o'clock at night till eight o'clock in the morning, we were, you know, reduced to one bottle of water and one MRE a day. Um, our platoon sergeant kept volunteering us for increasingly more and more dangerous missions, um, for no real reason either. Like there wasn't a, there wasn't an end goal by the time, you know, by this time in our deployment, our, our main mission was, clean up our fob and hand it over to the ANA, the Afghan National Army. So it it kept getting worse and worse until, you know, our platoon sergeant abandoned us in, in Kabul. Uh, it was me and um, one other truck that wasn't even part of our platoon and then a local national truck that was actually towing one of our trucks. 
Um, and it was probably, you know, eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. I don't know. It was dark. The city was busy. Um, and next thing you know, we got separated and we were in trucks that the, the crow system, the gun system didn't work. Um, and, uh, we, uh, we really had no way to defend ourselves. The, the trucks had no radios. All we had was a satcom radio in, in hopes that it might be able to get back to, uh, our fob or bath, which is where we were going, but no way to really communicate between trucks other than, you know, flashing our lights, but they, we, we got cut off by some vehicles and made some wrong turns here and there. And next thing you know, we can't find the rest of the platoon. Hmm. Um, so we get to the other side of the city. Uh, we wait there for about 45 minutes thinking that maybe we beat them. And, um, we didn't, you know, we, we waited for about 45 minutes and no one ever showed up. So we just kept driving in the general direction that we thought Kabul was or not Kabul, but Bath. And, um, next thing you know, we find our, uh, <laughs> we find the rest of our platoon just driving on, uh, without us. Um, so once we got to Bath, I, I had a very colorful conversation with my, uh, platoon sergeant and then pretty much explained that I was, I was done. I am, I, I need to go talk to, uh, some professionals. I, I'm no longer going to be uh, in this platoon with you. Uh, you're going to get us killed. Um, you know, you, you're continuing to put us in dangerous situations. So uh, I went and talked to a therapist in Afghanistan about, you know, everything that was going on in Afghanistan, all the, the heinous stuff that the rest of my platoon mates were doing. Um, and uh, I got pulled out from that platoon and got attached to the supply sergeant. And I was the supply sergeant's guard for the rest of the deployment. And that was that was the end of it. So yeah. I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> nothing, yeah. nothing else changed. I just got removed or I don't want to say removed, but I just got reattached to my supply sergeant as opposed to a, to a whole platoon. Wow. I still had my weapon. I still had all 24 grenades. I still was expected to, to be an infantryman. So I, I, I didn't think anything of it. You know, I, I, I had some follow-up appointment, uh, follow-up, you know, meetings, continuing on with the therapist, just making sure everything was okay. Um, and I, uh, you know, when we all came back from Afghanistan, we all had like two appointments with a therapist. And again, we were all okay. We were all doing just fine. Um, you know, as fine as you can be. And, uh, you know, life went on. <laughs> so I didn't think anything of it until this aviation medical examiner pulls it up and apparently there was uh, I, I guess some disqualifying diagnoses from that afghanistan medical record that except for this aviation medical examiner i can't i can't find any record of huh so like like you said you had called the va and and there's no record of this diagnosis or you ever mm -hmm. even taking therapy yes huh so, and that's the thing I've called this aviation medical examiner trying to figure out where he got it. Cause obviously the FAA wants the, wants the records. Right. And yeah. all he got was a, was like a little snippet. You know, he just got like a small little briefing, like, Hey, he went to therapy this many times. This is the, this is his problem list. This is the diagnosis, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, well, where did you get that? Cause I've never seen that a day in my life. And I have my entire medical record right here on my phone. So I don't know where you got that. There must be a mistake. And um, yeah. <laughs> so now, gonna, go ahead. I want to ask you a question that's like, you might not have an answer to, but it's like, if you can't find this paperwork and you know the FA is going to require it from you, like, how do you even 
move forward in that situation? Like, have, have you been able to get any kind of guidance or advice on like how yes. to obtain so, that record? Well, here's the thing. I filled out, it's a form SF-180, um, but I've even called the national national personnel records in St. Louis and San Antonio, you know, the place that has every record, you know, like if you want to know what your, your grandpa did in world war two, these are the people to call. Um, and even they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't have medical records from Afghanistan. We don't have downrange medical records. So, uh, do you think this enemy is kind of targeting you? Uh, so what I want to say and what I can say legally are two different things. Okay. Uh, Cause I don't want to risk <laughs> Like, let's just be frank. I don't want to risk a defamation suit because I can't yeah. prove anything. Yeah. You know. But if the, you know, the lines or the stars match up. Well, like, would I be able to say that you've <laughs> done work for a certain organization? You're not saying it. Would I be able to say that? Because it's I mean, public I do, knowledge. Yeah, I do work for, you know, certain organizations that that could be stigmatized by certain political regimes. Okay. Yes. Yes. One of our previous guests um, that we've had on, if you just want to put two and two together, something extremely relevant to do with women's health and um, gender identifying surgery. So yes. um, gender affirming care, excuse me. Sorry. Yes. So you can kind of put two and two together. I like, and that's, it just, it, that makes me sick to my stomach. And, but I, I honestly, it's not that far-fetched of an idea. And, yeah. uh, and, and I, I agree with that because, you know, my previous, because I had to go to a new aviation medical examiner. I've been going to one, you know, the, the same one for, you know, the past three years. And my previous one no longer wanted to see me because I was on the news for that organization. Okay. Yes. So, so it would make sense. The track. <laughs> We've yes. got a, we got a. If the shoe uh, fits, lace it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So uh, for you, Adrian, what has kind of been like the hardest for you going through this process? Is it just like not being able to obtain the records or the pro the length of the process or what's the hardest part going um, through? I would definitely say the the length of the process and the, and the response of the FAA when you get them on the phone. Okay. Um, they are not helpful. They're they're to, to be frank, they're rude. You know, when I. Cause I even asked, I was like, Hey, can I, can I go talk to a different aviation medical examiner? Or does that look like I'm trying to commit fraud? And they went, I don't know. I'm like, mm -hmm. aren't, aren't, aren't you the people that would know, you know? And it's, it's, it, it's, it's a little ridiculous. Cause this aviation medical examiner, you know, after he was like, Hey, we're going to defer your medical, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be four to six weeks. Even the aviation medical examiners don't understand this process. No, they don't. The aviation medical examiner told me to my face that you're going to be looking at four to six weeks. It's not going to be a big deal. I mean, that's what the federal air surgeon says with special assurances. She's like, oh, it's only taking six months when in reality it's taking 24. So, well, um, I'm going to be honest, ever since I got the congressional staffers to reach out to the FAA, they have been alarmingly um, responsive. That's good. I'm glad. Um, so if you are going through this process, what I do recommend is uh, using this service called Fax Zero so that you can actually fax the FAA. Um, you can only do like three pages unless you want to pay like three bucks. Not sponsored. That's just the service I use. <laughs> All right. 
It's just that's just what I use to, to fax the FAA, and I send it uh, snail mail and I fax it, um, and get a congressional staffer to to reach out to the FAA and have them blatantly ask like, hey you guys said it was going to take me 28 days to get a response. Why are we at 45 days now? Yeah. Um, did, did you realize like what you were up against when you started this, like from when you walked out of the AME's office, like, did you take his word no. for it? Um, I mean, I was, I was, I was pretty distraught. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, I was ugly crying. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was sniveling snot running down my face. Like yeah. I was, it, it, it was, it was rough because, you know, probably I felt I, like your life was like ending. Yeah, I mean, that's I, like, it just feels like earth shattering. It, it is, you know, especially when you're this far into a career with no other resources to go otherwise, you know, yeah. if this would have, if this would have came up when I got my first medical, you know, if when I went in for my first medical exam, years ago if they would if this would have been brought up and they would have went hey like it's probably gonna take you like six to twenty thousand dollars to fight this uh you might want to think of a different career i'd go oh okay and to be honest i would have stayed at geek squad in freaking new york (laughs) (laughs) um but you know that it didn't it didn't get brought up because it wasn't in my medical record no aviation medical examiner found it until now yeah so like that's the thing that the problem i have there is this actually happens quite a bit where pilots get their first class and then something happens where their ame is like oh we found something and yours seems to be particularly special in that uh you can't figure out where that diagnosis came from Mm -hmm. um but it's just like the inconsistency of you being able to obtain a first class and then now in how many years later has it been like 10 that they have so the the therapy was 10 years ago okay and the um i got my first medical about seven years ago okay so i mean there's even Even this three-year gap between the therapy and my first medical where i was no i didn't receive any other mental health services so it's not like you know people have made the the people have made the comment, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't have been lying to your AME if you were, you know, uh, seeking out the these healthcare services for these diagnoses. It's like, I wasn't. <laughs> I yeah. wasn't. You know, because they, they always talk about that United guy that was taking bipolar meds for a decade and then was like, I didn't know they were for bipolar. It's like, dude, you went to Walgreens <laughs> for the last 10 years picking up these meds and you never once read the side of the bottle. Yeah. And now he wants to sue the VA the for 35 million dollars for overdiagnosis and it was like dude you were you were taking disability for it you were taking medication for it and now all of a sudden when you got caught you want to you want to you want to call foul it's like no you doing this is the reason that that this happens and to be, i'm gonna be honest i feel i feel pretty guilty um about this whole you know hymns process this whole aviation medical process because i used to be an advocate for hymns um, I, I, I would tell people like, Hey, if you are struggling through something that you need to speak to a professional for, go to a professional, here's the hymns program. This is the very basic steps that you need to follow just from, you know, reading the FAA's documentation, reading the forms that need to be filled out. It looks like a fairly simple, straightforward process. It's not, 
It's not. It, it's it, it incentivizes you to hide, especially when you when you look into, you know, the disqualifications for things like basic med and LSA and, you know, light sport aircraft. If you lose your medical by speaking out and getting the health care that you need, you lose the option to do sport pilot. You lose the option for basic med. Mm -hmm. But if yeah. you just shut the fuck up and fill out your basic med form, go have a nice day. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the most disgusting part about it is the, the fact that the FAA not only makes it extremely difficult to go through the special issuance process for mental health through the PIMS program, but that there's an easier process for you to just shut the fuck up and not do anything and not say anything. Yeah. yeah I mean, it incentivizes pilots to hide. It's it really manipulation does. tactic. It's like, like it's just guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which I understand they want to, to err on the side of caution, but then leave it up to the treating physician. That that's been my 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 biggest push for this is leave it up to the treating physician. Um, for cancer, the oncologist decides on whether or not the pilot's safe to go back to flying. Why is it any different for mental health services? Yeah, it's it's the the same thing, even with physical health, like just I talk about this a lot. Like I even to when I was started this whole process, when I created the petition, when I started the podcast, I knew that things were fundamentally wrong, that the system was broken, that it was outdated, archaic. But I really, truly had no clue the lack of. Honestly, just the lack of respect of life that the FAA has for these people. I mean, one of our most recent episodes, we talked to Victoria Sides, and she had a heart defect when she was young, um, something that she took care of when she was extremely young and has lived a very happy, healthy life since then. When she went to go get her medical, of course, the FAA was requiring a multitude of testing for her and almost like it's I think it's two or three doctors basically like told her, no, I'm not ordering these tests for you. These tests are going to put your health at more danger than you already are. You're a perfectly healthy person. Why would I order a test for you when you're perfectly healthy? A test that's going to I'm going to inject you with nuclear dye like it's just putting you at more risk that isn't even there. And it's just I don't know. It's just crazy. And every single year she has to go and do that. The nuclear stress test. And there are thousands of people that have to do that every single year. And it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. You talk to any physician about that process and they're like, yeah, no. Why? And uh, that's why. Uh, these aviation medical examiners being able to have this much of a, a, a strangle on people's entire livelihoods is, is wrong. Are we really going to say that that ENT, you know, no, no shame to ENTs, but that ENT that did the paperwork with the FAA to also become an AME that now has a private, private practice office right next to the subway in the strip mall in Milwaukee has <laughs> any idea on whether or not somebody with a heart defect as a child is safe to fly? Or does that doctor who actually helped that person through their entire healthcare regime have a better idea on whether or not that person is safe to fly? Exactly. And it's such common sense. That's that's the wildest part about it all is when you try and explain this to 
people who aren't in aviation, which I bet you've kind of come across that a lot. Like it's so frustrating to have to explain this to people from the out on the outside because it's just it's so blatantly common sense that it's almost like saying it aloud. It it almost feels like you're just spreading false information. It just doesn't even feel right, but it's the truth. It's that's, the truth. That's been the alarming thing is the amount of people that have actually reached out in my comments saying, stop spreading this information. Pilots can go to therapy. Yeah. I mean, like, we've had that argument uh, so many times. And yeah. if, you, if, if you pay cash and ensure that there is no diagnosis, sure. You can, but the problem is, is the FAA leaves that fun little ETC at the end of their, their guidance to AMEs saying that pretty much allowing them to, to defer anybody who has had any mental health diagnoses, whether it be acute adjustment disorder for a stressful event. Yeah. And, and that's the problem. If you want insurance to pay the $300 an hour, it takes to go to therapy nowadays, you are going to get acute adjustment disorder at the very least yeah at the end of the day they have to put something down and if they write something down that's enough cause for the faa to be like oh hmm, mm -hmm. let's investigate this further which just oh my god and i yeah. think what sucks also is that when they write a diagnosis oftentimes they're giving you a diagnosis so that your insurance will cover it because they can't just prescribe you medication without a diagnosis so that's a lot of times they do that so that you're in for your insurance purposes and that's what's frustrating a lot of people don't think about that is like oh my doctor's actually trying to help me out to get the medication that i need but at the end of it you have a diagnosis and the faa is going to be like well we have an issue with this yes yeah. and the alarming thing is the faa couldn't care less about the fact that I tumbled off my motorcycle at 75 miles an hour and broke six transverse processes along my spine. Mm. FAA doesn't care about that at all. Mm. But mm. I went to therapy in a war zone. Yeah. That's and all of a sudden an issue. That. And now the FAA is even saying, we want uh, all the information about your eyeball surgery too, from when you got PRK. And I'm like, Last time I checked, PRK has is has never been a disqualifying diag has never been a disqualifying surgery. Pilots get LASIK all the time. Yeah, what the? F <laughs> I'm like, but but so it just honestly it feels I and it just feels so discriminatory. Like between what we've talked about in the pre or pre podcast recording, what we've kind of said on here, and then on top of the fact that like you're you fought for this country, you put your life on the line. And I worked with the military. And that's something that's like very near and dear to my heart is the sacrifices that men and women make for this country. And for them to use that against you and put your job, your livelihood on the line over something that happened to you while you were making sure that the men and women in this country could still continue to live their lives is infuriating really infuriating it's I yeah i'm and i'm just i'm i'm very sorry that this is happening to you because that's just you should not be being treated like this like it's just ridiculous and if the process was quicker and affordable that is that is that is my my biggest gripe which is why i've I've kind of been toying around with the idea of a, uh, a nonprofit that I'm between two names, psych and hers. Um, 
hers is like a direct, you know, opposition to hims, you know, the, yeah. the human intervention and motivation study, yeah. you know, uh, what, what, what was the, the, the acronym that I came up with? It was like, uh, humans enacting real solutions. <laughs> I like it. I like that. Or, or, you know, either psych, you know, pilots supporting your costly hymns. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yep. Um, to, to, to ensure that it's not a matter of cost uh yeah. for for the hymns program because it's there are unions that will support you through the alcoholism portion of hymns you ask them to support the mental health portion of hymns they'll laugh at you yeah and um, i'm like we we can go from you know budweiser to boeing or cocaine to concord but but i went to therapy and you have issue with that mm-hmm it just doesn't make sense. So since you were talking about price, can we ask you like how much you've spent so far? So, so far, um, I've spent, uh, spent about 200 bucks at target. Um, uh, my initial, uh, cause I did just go to a, just a basic VA psyche valve. Cause that's all the FAA asked me for initially. Um, and, uh, the FAA then sent me a letter before even receiving my, my psyche valve. They sent me a letter saying they wanted me to go see a hymns psych. And I'm like, okay, well, initially you didn't want me to go see a hymns psych and you haven't even gotten any more info. And now all of a sudden you want me to go to a hymns psych. Um, but the hymns psych is, is ranging anywhere from two to 6,000. Uh, haven't spent it yet. They're waiting on my uh, VA blue ribbon report. And I am trying to work with uh, Ramos law to help on the legal aspect. And they range anywhere from three to $6,000. Which steady plug. For <laughs> yeah, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, no, uh, no, no endorsement or anything from no them. serious just... endorsement. We love we it. Love Joe's, Joe's been on the podcast two uh, times and we are, we love Ramos law and we love Joe LaRusso. So, um, we, we love them. Um, yeah. we endorse it all day long. Well, uh, and that's the thing. Um, they had one of their, their, their legal aides, um, give me a call saying like, Hey, you know, we, we see that you're trying to sue the AME for a HIPAA violation. Uh, that's not something we can do, but this is what we do. And I'm like, okay. And I, um, I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what the value was because, you know, from what this legal aid was explaining to me is it seemed something, you know, like I could do myself, you know, I can, you know, pilots are all trained to read the far aim, you know, and understand the regs and be able to navigate the regs. So I was, I was, you know, getting a little confused on what the three to $6,000 was going to be paid or, you know, what was, what was it going to do? And Joe ended up sitting on the phone with me for about an hour explaining to me um, what they were doing and uh, that, that it wasn't something that I can generally, you know, I can try, but you know, good luck. Uh, <laughs> but also explaining that, that AME, you can't sue an AME for a HIPAA violation. Hmm. They are protected under the same kind of like, he, he akin it to how it's really hard to sue a cop for a civil rights violation. Oh, the, yeah, the, sure. the uh, you know, qualified immunity effectively, because they're operating yeah. as a, a governmental agent. Yeah. Mm. So, um, but apparently the VA disagrees about it being a HIPAA violation. So I, I don't, I don't understand that. 
um, accessing 17 years of medical records that even I don't have access to that he never got a release for. That sounds like a pretty blatant HIPAA violation to me, but I guess I'm not a lawyer. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, that's one thing that's come up on the podcast and Maddie and I have talked about, and there's so much just gray area when it comes to like the VA, the FAA and your AME and the HIPAA, the HIPAA violation and where that all comes into play. Because I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, it is a HIPAA violation. And a lot of people swear to me up and down that no, it isn't. And I'm of the opinion on that, unless you put a paper right in front of me and say, hey, we are going to access these records, sign off on this, please. Then it's a HIPAA violation. I don't remember what I signed when I was 14, 15 years old, going to my family doctor. Like the first, the first medical that I held, I was 15 years old, I think. Mm -hmm. So how, like, it's just, I don't know. I, you know, there's, I feel like for me, there's a fine line between something that's just like fundamentally correct and fundamentally wrong. And I feel like accessing that information, not being able to tell the person where you access the information is very contradictory. You know what I mean? And that's the more alarming part is like, so you can you can grab it because it, it it's it, the way it was explained to me in the the letter that the VA sent me is that um, an occupational exam is treated as is well treatment so accessing a medical record is a continuation of treatment that's 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 the way that the the VA explained it to me and um, but but they can't then release those records to you yeah I'm like well what? I don't even know where those ones came from. So, yeah. you know, and the, 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 the even more frustrating part is I've had, you know, the doc from Afghanistan say, nah, you're good. You know, you don't, you don't, you, you don't equip somebody with 240 rounds out of an M4 and a, a, a grenade launcher and a, you know, grenade launcher machine gun that shoots 350 rounds per minute. If you're concerned about their, their mental well-being. <laughs> yeah. And then I've and that, also that had opinion should should be like worth its weight in gold, but it's not even, it's mm -hmm. not even being considered. Nope. But, and then I've also had two other doctors from the VA who are obviously well-versed in, you know, treating veterans from, from their experience from war. And they've written a letter going, nah, this guy's, this guy's good. This guy's fine. Uh, we have no reason, like, you know, they, they, they pretty much put their they, I don't want to say livelihood or license or anything like that. I don't know the whole legality behind that, but they have endorsed me saying, yeah, I'd be comfortable flying with him. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we talked to a lot of people and I mean, that's, that seems to be, you know, you have these, I think I was, I forget who it was that I was telling, but it's almost like an insult to your, to the doctor, to the physician as well, because it's like, it's just a slap in the face to, you know, work with this person be treat say you're treating this patient, et cetera, whatever it is, and to be able to write and and put your professional, your 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 job kind of on the line and say, hey, I'm vouching for this person. This person is okay. And then for them to just be like, no, no, we don't need your opinion. We want to form our own opinion. And, and we haven't practiced medicine in like 25 years, but we need to formulate our own opinion. And it we all know that aviation medical examiner that, um, what's the words we use? It's very pilot friendly. Yeah. Um, and there are hymns out there that are also just as pilot friendly. 
And when you look into the incidents where, whether it be a physical or mental ailment in which a pilot acted out or became incapacitated, their treating physician disagreed with the aviation medical examiner. Mm -hmm. Their treating physicians would say that they were unsafe to fly. Their treating physician decided that they shouldn't be flying, but the FAA or the governing body wasn't aware of that treating physician's opinion because they don't care. Well, and because it's a self-disclosure system. Yeah. 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 Unless it, the AME decides to dig into to everything. You know, yeah. when I say this guy dug into everything, he knows I got a vaccine in middle school. Yeah, that's wild. I'm like, I Ugh, I don't remember freaky. that I got a vaccine in middle school. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, you know, the 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 process that's that's in place right now is I'm just waiting for the the HIMSS aviation medical examiner psychiatrist to get my FAA blue ribbon report, even though I've got one in my desk right now, they won't take it from me. They've got to wait for the FAA to mail it to them. Once that happens, I schedule who knows how many appointments. Um, I'm going to obviously bring in the same letter that uh, the VA doc wrote um, pretty much saying like, Hey, this guy's fine. Um, And hopefully it, it all gets cleared up. I'm also going to be going to, you know, as we said, Ramos Law. Uh, I'm going to be reaching back out to them and uh, having them, you know, they, they build me a legal standing and I guess a political standing. They, they told me that they do it kind of like a three-pronged attack. They have a, a political, medical, and legal standing for reissuing a uh, pilot's medical certificate. Um, so, you know, legal standing, interpreting the regulations into the modern day DSM-5, because apparently the FAA is still using the DSM-3, the same book that views, you know, homosexuality as a mental illness. Um, which is the- like what we talked about in our last episode. I was like, I was asking, um, Tegan if she thought it was discriminatory to be tested, given a psych test, even though she's never had a psychological issue. And she said, yes. And I was like, I totally agree with you because we've been saying this this uh, is very discriminatory and they need to update it and they mm-hmm. refuse to. So, but and then the, uh, the next one, you know, they have the legal, the medical, and then uh, they apparently have a political arm in which they say, you know, wouldn't it pretty much be, wouldn't it be good press to give this pilot their medical back? Wouldn't this be good political clout to ensure that this pilot could fly again? Which yeah. that part feels disgusting. Yeah. But it's, it sucks that like, oh God, I deal with that. We deal with that all too well. I mean, I've lost my father and my uncle over this and some of the things that I've had to do, I feel like just like, yes, I'm bringing honor and respect to their name, but there's a part of it where like, I feel like I shouldn't have to use that as like my bargaining chip, as like my clout or my story to infect, to affect change, you know? You should just be able to take it from face that like the system is messed up and I deserve to, for your, for your, in your case, I deserve to get my job back. Yeah. And I mean, luckily enough, you know, my union has protected my job. That doesn't mean I'm getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they have, they have, I still have a slot on the seniority list. So when I do get back to the when I do get back, um, I'm going to have really good senior. I'm probably going to be one of the most senior first officers at the company. 
Well, that'd be nice. <laughs> I'll be able to bid whatever schedule I want. You can have a great uh, time. Yeah, my uh, my my company is currently going through union negotiations. You know, my believe it or not, my my mail carrier. You know, obviously she she's delivering all these letters from the FAA, so she's kind of got an idea of what's going on. Just that I'm fighting to go back to work, and she keeps telling me that um, uh, what is it? Called? Hard times just protect you from worse things. Um, so I guess being at the bottom of the seniority list while my company's going through union negotiations would be some pretty terrible experiences. Yeah, probably used the shit out of you if you were at work. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my mail carrier is awesome. <laughs> she sounds like it. Give you some good advice. Um, I think for our last question, since you kind of already covered what your opinion was about how long it takes the FAA to issue medical is, um, I'm going to take your question, Emma. Um, if you have advice for anyone who's going through the process or just the special issuance process, um, what advice would you give them? Um, uh, I, I'm, 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 start a GoFundMe, I guess. It's rough. Um, if you've got the money, you know, obviously uh, go for it. Um, now, if, if you're a student pilot or a veteran, you know, looking into the possibility of using your GI Bill to uh, go become a pilot and you're going to have to fight through this special issuance process, I, I definitely say um, contemplate a uh, using your GI Bill for a backup and using that job to pay for your your flight training or if you're not looking to fly for a job sport pilot as long as you shut up is an option yeah. um that that's that's really what what my my bit of advice would be is if you if you have no intention of ever becoming an airline pilot or working get basic med and go through sport pilot Technically, you can go through private pilot on basic med. Well, uh, you can it, even go. I thought up? you were required to do like your third class because when I was signing up for mine, because I just wanted to do basic med myself because I just mm -hmm. wanted to GA, you are required initially to have a third class. Oh. Um, and then after you get your first third, you're allowed just to go to basic med, but you do have to get a third class. Okay. So that was my misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, so, all right, well, there goes my bit of advice. Um, have, <laughs> have a backup plan, I guess. I think the uh, GoFundMe was solid. Yeah. yeah start, GoFundMe. start, start a GoFundMe. Um, cause that's, it sucks. Cause I see the other people that, that have, that are in the same shoes as me, but don't have the same, I, I hate to say clout. <laughs> they, they don't have the same audience as me that, that are going to be left behind. They're not going to be able to afford this. They're not going to be able to go through this process. And all because, you know, I just happen to be normal enough for elevated access to reach out to me and me to become popular for standing up for what I believe is right. Now, all of a sudden, I'm allowed to go. I'm allowed to, to have the audience to support me to, to get back in the flying when there are countless other people that, would, that are in the same shoes as me that, that deserve it just as much as I do is is i feel a little guilty well i don't think you should feel guilty i think it's a shared experience i like i see i feel i feel that 
as well. I know that like even just having people on our show, like there are so many people that Maddie and I can't get to so many stories that we want to tell that like we just haven't been able to get to. Um, But, you know, you did a good thing. What you did with Elevated Access was a good thing. So definitely don't feel guilty. Like we're all rewarded for doing something somehow, some way. Um, Like, but comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. What was that? I said comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, I get it. So yeah. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Comparing <laughs> yeah. yourself to yeah. other people. All right. All right. Well, I mean, I'm just a firm believer of like, you really can't, you know, you can't control other people's situations. You can only control your own. So I I find myself a lot of the time, like feeling bad for other people. I mean, you're kind of a, you'd be a bad person if you didn't feel bad for other people in their situations and didn't sympathize with other people. But at the same time, you kind of just have to take it face that like, this is your life. You're able to control your situation. And yeah, you may be a little bit more blessed than somebody else, but don't make yourself feel too entirely bad about it. Yeah, just start a nonprofit called Psych that supports pilots for uh, to, to fight through this process, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, use your blessings to help bless other people. And it seems mm-hmm. like you've got that figured out. So, yeah, you're on the right path. And sorry, earlier my AirPods died. So if y'all said something to me and I just never responded, that's why I was fiddling it around trying to figure out how I could hear you guys again but oh no you're good anyways well do you want to move into our fun questions yes ma'am so we'll start with you Adrian what state or country have you had the best cheese I mean it's it's obviously Wisconsin I mean it's it's <laughs> I knew you're gonna say that like there's there's <laughs> So there's this company, there's this cheesery. Yeah, I refer to them as cheeseries. Dairies make milk, cheeseries make cheese. Um, a cheesery can also be a dairy, but either way. Uh, All right. Um, there's this place called DuPont. Not the not the DuPont that you're thinking of, but they have a they have a DuPont Colby, and it is like mm. it, it is slap your grandma tasty. Um, <laughs> there's also a place called Renard's Cheese, and they make an absolutely amazing monster. Mm-hmm. um so it, it's definitely a fight between colby between you know um dupont's colby and renard's munster yeah you have a specific cheese that you like there it's funny because up here in bellingham where i live we have a lot of wisconsinites um and one of my best friends that i used to work with and Dallas, is she was from wisconsin so her mom would send us cheese curds through the mail for her and she would always bring them to work and we just chow them down but wisconsin cheese is pretty top-notch um but i will say this the country i'll say the country i've had the best cheese in is um greece they have i love like feta uh and mazithra cheese oh so Mm -hmm. good so um i will say that's my my favorite but what about you emma oh and i oh gosh this answer is like kind of like tearing me up inside because I'm going to say something a little bit unexpected for me, Spain, Spain, as much as like Spain definitely hasn't been my favorite country that I've traveled to, even though I did like my experience when I was there, they had out of everywhere that I've ever been, some of the best cheese. They use a lot of sheep's milk and I like like a really salty, like I'm the same. I love a feta 
Um, I love goats, like anything goat's milk cheese. I love anything that's super salty, briny. Um, I love a little salt crystal in there, a little like, <laughs> you know, ooh, I like the crunch a little bit and I like the cream. So I'm definitely going to say Spain because they, between that and the jamón, oh my God, dude, it's heaven. It's heaven there for me. Top is oh, heaven. Yeah. It's watering right now. My mouth is. I know. That's I why I say to... I'm like, I'm bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to run to a couple other countries and uh, try some other cheese because I think, yeah, no, Wisconsin. I mean, I, I I didn't really get to try any cheeses in Afghanistan, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I they have goats and like... sheep there, right? I we 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 did get to we did get to eat some goat with some locals. That was that was interesting. Is goat is goat um similar tasting to sheep or is it more like um game gamey? Uh, to be honest, it was mixed with rice and dates, and I hadn't eaten in like. So that shit was. So it days. tasted amazing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I was like, I don't. This could taste like sweaty foot. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was, uh, no, nah, nah, I was, I was starving. So any, any food was anything um, better than the mr mre. Or- Emma, you said you you love salty cheese, so we know your favorite cheese is like feta, salty. Gouda, gouda. Oh, okay. oh it's good yours. Okay. I'm gonna ask you, Adrian. What's your favorite cheese? I mean, it's 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 a toss up between that uh, between that Dupont Colby and uh, oh, okay, so. and that Renard's Munster. I mean, Renard's also has this like ghost pepper stuff that, that every once in a while, you know, you throw it on a throw it on some tacos, and you know, mm. it's ah, it's it's spicy. It's it's yeah. almost angry. Like it's. <laughs> I love a good spicy cheese, though. I'll tell you. Um, I think my favorite, oh God, this is so hard because I fucking love cheese. Mm. I like the stinky cheese, like um, blue cheese. Gorgonzola, uh, baby. Gorgonzola, like anything that stinks, I really like. (laughs) Adrian, last question is, what's your favorite cheesy food? Um, So it's either going to be just like some... Some like basic deep fried cheese curds from uh there's this there's this brewery underneath a bridge in Milwaukee. I think um, I've been there. Yeah, and they have some of the best cheese curds, like deep fried cheese curds. And beyond that, something that might be a little bit more approachable and easier to get for most people would definitely be the uh, cheesy stuffed spuds from Quick Trip. Mm. <laughs> Yummy. Like they're like deep fried tater tots stuffed with cheese. Ooh. Yum. yeah i'm so jealous <laughs> like they just don't do cheese curds here so i'm like the fact that you well, can just go somewhere and get them i'm just jealous so there's a few places in wisconsin that like don't order their cheese curds the milwaukee brewing company they just bread a a, a cube of cheddar and deep fry it and call it a cheese curd mm. um i was i was fairly upset because they, they charged like 16 dollars for like four of them too nice. um and believe it or not quick trips cheese curds are rough too much breading. Bread to cheese ratio is way off. So more cheese, less bread. Yes, yes. More cheese, less bread. I mean, it's 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 almost like a it's almost like a hush puppy with a whisper of cheddar inside of it. That sounds amazing. <sighs> I'm working my appetite up slowly here. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite you? food? Your che- favorite cheesy food? I feel like I know what you're gonna say. My favorite cheesy food. There's like so many. I'm like, is it like quesadillas? Is it Cheetos? Um, <laughs> I don't know. And I lo- I used to love hot dogs filled with cheese. 
Um, I like all the like worst things for me that has cheese in them. Uh, but I mean, I don't. I don't know, know if Cheetos count. It has fake cheese, and I, you know, I love a good fake cheese. I love uh my favorite like fake cheese that is probably has no cheese in it is the Taco Bell cheese. <laughs> the nacho cheese oh my god <laughs> that's 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 that's, that's blasphemy. blasphemy i know it is but i can't help it like i'm addicted like i always get the cheese fries or the or the, the nacho, nacho fries. cheese fries yeah that are like there's no cheese actually on them um but yeah i'm bad <laughs> i like that fake shit All right. Well, I'm going to land this plane. It has been so fun talking to you, Adrian. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Before we close out this episode, go ahead and give yourself a plug. Like, where can we find you? Um, you can type in cheese pilot as one word into Google. If that didn't find me on the platform that you're looking for, just replace the S with a Z. Um, and I'm, I'm literally everywhere. TikTok's the main deal, um, but you can find me dumping random garbage into twitter every once in a while um instagram uh what you call it snapchat you got yeah, snapchat? Uh, yeah i got snapchat but i don't know if it's cheese pilot yeah Maybe cheese pilot snap i, I forget some people um, are into snapchat you know yeah. some people really like the snapchat stories i'm like oof i stopped using that a while ago i just message people back and forth yeah no but you can find me on twitch um I try and do, you know, at least once a month, some kind of a private pilot study hall where people can show up and ask questions either on TikTok or Twitch, um, you know, because I know it's expensive to pay your instructor 50 bucks an hour to read a book to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're doing the Lord's work. You really are. God bless you. Yeah. Well, it has been really awesome. And I, I do mean that sincerely. You are really putting out like information being a resource to people that might need it. Um, I know when I started my aviation journey, even though I come from an aviation family, I still felt very lost in the sauce. So what you're doing is a worthwhile service. So thank you. Of course. I mean, you know, as I said, I was going to do something anyway. I might as well help as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. And again, thank you so yes. much for coming on. Um, yeah, that's it for this week. Um, you can go, we're going to like tag everything in the description below. So if you didn't get his at, at the, for the first time, which is just cheese pilot, if it's not cheese pilot with an E it's or an S with it's with a Z, but we're going to link that all down in this week's episode description below. So if you didn't catch it the first time, you can catch it there. Like I said, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us and listening in this episode. We will catch y'all next week. And until then, keep the blue side up and the brown side down. Bye, y'all.